but understanding where you're at today, typically in terms of annual recurring revenue, where you want to get to um, in the next one, two, three years, and then reverse engineering that into an operating plan. All right, Anthony, uh, welcome back to the Revamp podcast. Um, I think this might be the first time we've had a guest on for a second time. You you joined uh, the podcast with my colleague, Gideon. I think I was looking at it just now in August of 2020, which seems like several lifetimes ago. So a lot's happened since then. So a lot's happened, I'm sure, with you, with the world. Uh, a lot's happened. Um, so, uh, I guess we can, for the folks who watching this that or listening to this that hadn't seen that episode, maybe we can get a little bit about your background and then we can kind of talk about where we left off last time and, and where things are going now. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Well, I have a pretty eclectic background in, in B2B technology, um, spent a lot of time in sales, marketing, customer success, and then I found my way into RevOps. RevOps is... I think what I was doing in all the other roles, I just didn't know it. And then finally somebody put a name on it and then uh, I raised my hand when there was an opportunity to move into that type of role, uh, which is also how I got connected with DealHub, managing a tech stack in a fast growing startup. Um, so in my RevOps career, I was the head of RevOps uh, for a really fast growing company called Emailage. And they ended up getting acquired by LexisNexis, which is a massive, Fortune 1000 company. And after that, I did another startup. And it was it was a really fortunate situation because it was a startup that was within the portfolio of the investors that were invested in, in emailage. Um, so they were kind of looking for a similar thing. They knew what I could bring to the table. Um, and it was nice to see, okay, I tested my stuff at an email. Let's go test it out at another company. That company is called uh, Boast AI. And at Boast, uh, my partner and I, uh, my, my business partner, founding partner of my current company, LeanScale, we just realized that it's really hard to pull RevOps off if you don't have all the right skill sets on your team. And it's really hard to get the right team. And if you do everything in-house, it's very expensive. So we started a company called Lean Scale just two years ago, and we're a RevOps as a service company. So we manage the planning and execution of growth for venture-backed B2B technology companies, and we manage all the systems, do the go-to-market reporting, and bring all of the best practice processes that we've seen from the companies that we've worked with, um, and make sure we give people a head start on their path to growth. I went looked back at the previous interview, which I think had happened soon after the exit of your previous uh, startup of uh, the the startup that was uh, purchased by LexisNexis, and you you had a very uh, in depth kind of model that you built, um, where you kind of were able to like plug in numbers and and just know exactly down to the you know to the decimal point. You know, you put X in, you get Y out. Um, it sounds like those are some of the things that you've brought to the table in your current company, uh, some of those best practices. Um, 
were, you know, maybe you can, I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, if you remember that conversation at all, but if you, if you can, you can talk a little bit about it and maybe how you develop these kind of best practices and these processes, um, how, you know, and how you have operationalized them. We have a name for it now. Uh, we call it growth modeling. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's listening, I'll even, I'll provide a link to a template that any of your listeners can download. Um, but really the concept of growth modeling is understanding and all these companies really have this charter, but understanding where you're at today, typically in terms of annual recurring revenue, where you want to get to, um, in the next one, two, three years, and then reverse engineering that into an operating plan. Hmm. So let's say you want to double your annual recurring revenue. Let's say you want to go from 10 million in ARR to 20 million in ARR. Well, how many new bookings are you going to need? How much pipeline are you going to have to build to feed the new bookings that you need? When does that pipeline need to be created? How many leads do you need to generate to get the pipeline? And then what does your brand awareness need to look at? And then also the customer success side, how are you going to drive your net retention up? And just every component that drives your annual recurring revenue what does it look like to go from point A to point B? And then plug in all of the assumptions that you have and see what it takes. And usually it comes, <laughs> the, the end output is just a budget number. It's okay, are you willing to spend this amount of money to get to that amount of money? And does it make sense? Yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. I mean, it's not, not every company has the, is able to plug in numbers, right? I mean, you have to kind of, there are certain things you need to know. Um, and I would imagine, it sounds like you had a pretty good system built in order to be able to, you know, have confidence in what you were plugging in. Um, when you started a, at a newer startup, um, you know, you don't have that kind of historical data to make assumptions with. Does that make it a lot more challenging? Yeah, of course. It's it's a lot more challenging. and. So when we started at the new startup and, and what I'd say for any customer of Lean Scale right now, day one, uh, we focus on laying the infrastructure and laying the groundwork to start measuring the things that you need to measure. So mm-hmm. some of these things just take time. Like if, if you want to take a look at a pipeline conversion rate uh, to understand your bookings goals, well, you need to make sure you're time stamping the stage movement so you're actually able to measure that. Um, time and stage, uh, measuring your churn, measuring your churn reasons. So you know if it's something that's market related or something more related to your product or service and and you can make some assumptions around that. Um, So yeah, day one, lay down the foundation so you can start measuring, but you're right, you won't have a lot of that data. So the next thing you can do is is just start to make some assumptions and and judgments. Mm. And probably the best way you can start with some benchmarks. So we do that with our with our customers. We say, okay, what's a like company in our portfolio of accounts? And how can we benchmark what their performance looks like? Mm-hmm. Or you can start to get a few leading indicators that you can try to extrapolate across other measurements as well. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you're gonna have to really just make sure you have the measurements in place and then see if your assumptions are holding true or not and then make adjustments. But yeah. once you have 
once you have a year of data under your belt, then you, you should be in a good place. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question is like, what is the sample size that's significant enough where you can have some level of faith to plug in those numbers and know that they're kind of resilient? Sample size, well, I guess sample size and time. Um, yeah. Sample size, you just use what you have. So, right. And that'll gauge your level of confidence in the plan. So you may need to bake in some buffers, but you, you're going to have to use the best that you have. And, and as you get more, it should refine itself. But until then, it's going to take a little bit. And, yeah. and timing, so how long do you need to wait? Um, you know, for some companies, it, it doesn't have to be that long. If, if it's a high-velocity type of sales cycle, sales environment, you may be able to start getting some leading indicators in 30, 60 days. Yeah. And enough data to at least gut check if your plan is on track or not. Uh, for enterprise sales, it's always the toughest one because it takes, it, it could take, you know, three, six, nine months to get something all the way to closed one. Mm. You also don't know churn as well because they're typically locked in a longer contract. So are they not churning because they're happy or are they not churning because they're just locked in your contract? Um, so I, when you're in that scenario where it's more enterprise environment, usually we just look at, okay, well, what can we measure? Can we measure stage movement? Okay, how long is it taking to go from stage one to stage two to stage three? And mm -hmm. can we start to make assumptions on how long the rest of the process is going to take? I wanted to take a step back and kind of, get a feel for, from you like what the experience was like of being at a company that did this exit you know that i think all of us that work in startups in the tech space that's kind of the the, the pie in the sky uh you know the, the thing that we all kind of strive for in a lot of ways whether it's a you know exit a private company or going public through ipo um i suspect like with many things it's you know, the, the, when it actually happens, it's not, you know, it's a, it's not exactly the way you imagined it. Um, but I'd love to kind of know what that experience was like for you leading up to it, how, you know, what kind of pressures it put on you as a, someone in your role, and then what it was like afterwards. It's a good question. Um, and it is really unique. And and first, I'll say it's, it's the best thing that ever happened in my career, um, by far. So that experience of going through and i'll walk you through we, we i entered when we were doing about uh three and a half million in annual recurring revenue and then we were doing about 50 million in annual recurring revenue and then exited for half a billion so i got a chance to see so much which i could not be more grateful for and not just the growth but that company in particular we were in market in a lot of different regions so we were in market in, in Europe, South America, APAC. Uh, we dealt with enterprise. We had velocity. We had some self-serve. We had multiple products. So all of these different go-to-market motions, it was, I, I mean, I went to like the best university of learning how to scale a startup I could mm -hmm. have ever gone to. Um, you're always thinking about it. I think maybe at least at least I am. You you know you're thinking like, okay, if if we were growing, if we keep doing this, we'll get the next round of funding. If we get to this point, then maybe there's an exit. Um, but I don't know if you ever actually believe it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. 
that you're sitting, you know, I, I don't know if you you felt that you're like, you have these dreams and you want them to happen, but I don't know if you're like, yes, this is going to happen for sure. Um, so for me, I was, the role I was in, I spent a lot of time with our exec team. I reported our CRO and I did a lot of the board reporting. I went mm-hmm. to, I went to most of the board meetings and I think I started to get suspicious when there were some meetings where I had to step out of because that never had happened before. Right. Um, and I had been in fundraising, you know, board meetings. I had been in things. So, and I started to get a lot of reporting requests and a lot of weird, you know, mm-hmm. things, a lot of urgency on reporting. So I don't know. My senses were kind of like, is something happening here? Um, and then I, re- I remember when I found out I was, uh, I was up really early because I just had like, uh, how old was Stella? She was two months old at the time. And so I was up at like 5 a.m. feeding her. And uh, and then my CRO called me at that time, which he never does. Like he does <laughs> 5 a.m. He doesn't call at 5 a.m. Yeah. He might call me at like 10 p.m., but he's not calling at 5 a.m. And he goes, this is going to be a really interesting day in email just history. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like, today we're announcing that we're getting acquired. And I'm sitting there with like baby in my arms, like on the phone with him. I was like, what? (laughs) And for us, it was an exciting thing because we knew we were growing. It wasn't like, oh, we stopped growing and we're like dumping the company off. It was like, okay, if we're getting acquired, this is, this is a good thing. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's how I heard the news. And that's, that's where I was when I found out. And then, um, and then the next three months is just weird because you, it, that seemed to always be kind of like the guiding mission, at least for somebody in RevOps, like, hey, that's what we're working towards. And now that it happened, it's like, what are we doing? Like, right. what? <laughs> North Star, right? Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like when, if Elon Musk gets to Mars, what happens, right? Like, you don't have a mission anymore. Um, yeah, like, do we start building the settlement? Or yeah. <laughs> Am I going to fly somewhere else? What do we do now? Yeah, I totally get that. There's some, there is something about that drives you about a, a, a goal that is almost unattainable that when you attain it, it's like the dog catching the car, whatever that metaphor is like, okay, what now? Um, That's the exact feeling. Yeah. The exact feeling. And, and it is, no, there's a waiting period. They, they like announce it, but the, the money hasn't moved yet. The transaction hasn't happened yet. So you're kind of just waiting and um yeah and then a lot of the a lot of the team did pretty well too so there is a day where you just like refresh your bank account and you're a little bit happier but <laughs> um but that but those parts are kind of anticlimactic like you don't even know when you just like log in one day and like oh there it is yeah um so a lot of like hurry up and wait stuff and and then it just does feel like yeah like when the dog catches that car what do you do now and then you so it sounds like you decided to go like super early stage uh, or you moved on to another startup um and i assume and maybe i'm wrong i assume that you know you're stepping into a very different uh, world right coming from a company that scaled from three and a half million arr to you know 50 to 100 million arr and exiting for uh 5x that um you know, what's it like going from kind of the 
the end of the race back all the way to the beginning. Something I didn't have much of an appreciation for is, um, I mean, when it happened, it was like, okay, let's just go do it again. <laughs> um, and you, you may have this just incorrect perception of what it takes to grow a company. Um, cause there's so many factors. I mean, it's, it's, it's your product. It's the value the product brings. It's timing and the current market conditions. I mean, there's like a million things. I know I played a part of it, but you can't rev ops your way to an exit. Um, it'll help, but that's not the whole thing. So I, I think one, it was very nice to be able to go back to the beginning and lay the foundation. So from my rev ops perspective, it was, I just had so much more knowledge and context going back and doing it again. Um, and I felt like I could really help and lean in with the team more. Or at the first company, I was more uh, more learning mm. as I went and, and doing roles that I hadn't done before. But coming back and doing something that I have done before was, was just a, a nice experience to have. Um, but it was uh, just a different type of type of company, and they're doing really well. I, I think Boast Boast is still a, a hyper growth company, and and I didn't leave by any means because Boast wasn't doing well. Um, I think I took that experience and and that feeling of wow, I can help. Like this isn't just for me. Um, I'm here helping the executive team. I'm coaching people on, you know, setting up the whole company well to be able to communicate to their investors, their board. I want to do this as much as I can. And that's when Sakai and I, uh, my founding partner at LeanScale, are just like, wouldn't it be cool to do this for hundreds of companies? Mm. Um, and then just get better and better and better at this art of RevOps and train people how to do it. And that just seemed like a really exciting opportunity for us. So that's why we decided to, to open it up. Yeah. And so, I mean, it puts you in a unique space because you've been to, you know, the promised land, so to speak. Um, whereas I, you know, a lot, you can step into a room and say, I can help you from, you know, from this very start, build this thing to get to where you want to go. Because I, I mean, I don't know if you thought when you started uh, at the previous company, if you, it was going to end up where it did. Um, I think, for a lot of us, we have dreams, but, you know, being able to like walk in the door at three and a half million and say, you know, the things I'm going to do today are going to be the baseline for this company's ability to 10, 20 X. Um, I, I imagine it's really um, exciting. So when you today working with your, your customers at lean scale, is that part of the offering is that, you know, what we do today is going to be the foundation that you can build on to get to an exit. Because you mentioned there were specific kinds of reports that the board wanted and, and, and all mm -hmm. those things. Um, are you, do you have a, a, an eye to that, to that when you're kind of starting even from scratch? Yeah, I want everybody to have that experience. Yeah. Like that, that experience that I was fortunate enough to go through, I want everybody to, to go through it. I, I mean, the amount of learning, personal development, and just value that you can create for the people at the company, um, experience of you know integrating companies, you, you just get to learn so much. So <clears throat> that's a big goal for any lean scale customer. And 
that's how we frame what we do is we call it full stack rev ops, holistic rev ops. And, and we really always come back to that planning phase because if you can, if you can call your shot and grow from, you know, X to Y, then you can put yourself in a position to be able to do that. Yeah. Or you at least make the best bets possible that could put you in that position. Yeah. And so when we're doing things like, I, I mean, a lot of the day-to-day -day work might not feel like that. Like we're doing, hey, we're fixing Salesforce over here, or you know, we're just pulling a you know, sales report over there. Um, but we're always building things with that in mind. Can you gather the data you need to make really good decisions? And can you build a plan that is aligned with your strategic initiatives as a company? Yeah. You, you Working at Lean Scale for the last two years, you kind of got a very unique view of a role RevOps, which I think several years ago was pretty not well-defined or at all today is, you know, kind of the most sought after position for hiring and, you know, is in all the conversations. You see, you've had the opportunity to watch that evolution happen. Um, from your view, obviously we're in an economy and market that's kind of in flux. Um, what are some of the trends, some of the tea leaves that you're seeing in terms of how the world of RevOps is evolving and like, you know, going forward, how that change is happening? What are some of the trends that you're starting to see? I'll, I'll, I'll speak to some general trends and then I'll, I'll tie it to RevOps. Um, you know, these, these plans that we're talking about and, and growing from X to Y, it used to be done very differently. Um, you could raise capital very easily. You could you could burn a lot of money on bets that might not be that well thought out, and that and that actually was rewarded. So if you could figure out a way to, you know, burn your way into the next round, um, and a lot of companies were rewarded for doing that. So that is pretty much not existent anymore outside of a handful of true AI companies. Um, yeah. So that's really not how, how we're doing things. Um, there's a huge focus on efficiency and being lean. And I also think there's a much bigger focus on consistency rather than looking for the hockey stick. So, mm. um, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more investors in this like growth capital space rather than, Hey, I'm, I'm hoping for unicorns. Right. They're saying, hey, I'm hoping for a couple of like first base hits. And if we can get into a business that has some good fundamentals, they're consistently growing, um, and they can prove that they can consistently grow, those have become pretty attractive investments in comparably in this environment at least. So given that, I think um one of the things people in RevOps need to really be focused on is first being part of that strategic conversation where I think RevOps before was more, hey, take care of the systems, take care of the tools, run the reports that the VP of sales wants run, um, and then, you know, just be reactive to things that are going on. Where I see RevOps more being a leader and on the same level as your head of sales, head of marketing, and needing to be strategic. 
So being the person who's making the recommendations of where we should invest next. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, over the last three years, I've had many conversations with, with RevOps leaders and consistently that is the thing. Um, This uh, push for RevOps professionals and people in RevOps roles to advocate to be a strategic position rather than a CRM administrator or whatever, you know? Um, And it still seems like there's that tension in some places where you'll see a job title, a job listing for RevOps, and you realize it's just a glorified Salesforce admin position Um, and not really about the strategy behind the people, the process, the, you know, the, the technology um, to support the growth of the company. Um, yeah, so I think just wrapping things up um, as we kind of uh, kind of cover what we, we, we talked about, you know, you had this, you have a pretty unique journey starting from a relatively early stage company all the way through exit, and then eventually being able to kind of take that experience and help other pe- companies build to scale. Um, you know, so for somebody in a RevOps role that's listening to this right now and is, you know, dealing with some of the challenges uh, that people in RevOps roles deal with, especially in this kind of climate, what do you think are some takeaways, um, let's say, you know, to advocate for, for themselves, for, you know, kind of quick wins, that you think that they could walk away with a couple areas and and it depends on how ambitious the RevOps person is. Um, I would say if you start leaning in on planning and you start leaning in on this growth model process and providing recommendations, that's probably going to get the attention of your executive team. Um, a lot of the stuff RevOps people will have an appreciation for. Uh, there's a lot of firefighting. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. There's a lot of work that goes in to orchestrate these processes and systems. Unfortunately, a lot of that work is pretty thankless. Um, so unless you're in a uh, you know closed room of RevOps people who want to vent about how hard it is to do that, uh, most people just won't have an appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. But where I think you bridge the execution of RevOps into the strategy is leaning in on that planning process. So I would find a way if you can, you know, partner with your CRO, partner with your VP of sales, start helping them put together their plans and and making sure it's integrated. I think that's the best way or the best thing to focus on that can help move you into that uh, strategic position within the company. And also give yourself the license to do that. Uh, You may not think that you're best equipped, but... I can't think of anybody better who spends all day with the go-to-market data, all day with the go-to-market teams, and sees everything that's happening to put together recommendations of what we should do next. That's a really, I think, a great place to uh, put a pin in this. And hopefully, you know, in another three years, we can touch base again. And <laughs> after Lean Scale has, you know, IPO'd. And, um, that's it. Yeah. I'm trying to do it again. One wasn't enough. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Putting the band back together. Um, yep. Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Super interesting. I think there's some really great takeaways uh, for our audience. And um, looking forward to hearing uh, more success from you in the future. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it.
go ahead and uh, 